0: right? There's a business that is, is, um, has put a lot of money into hiring incredibly smart people, right? To design these apps, to design the technologies so that we will use them, so that we will keep coming back, so that it's really easy to keep using them, right? And so if we start understanding, oh, wait, there's actually like, it's not just some like neutral, like thing, right? Some neutral device that just happens to be delivering this wonderful content or stressful content to us. No, this is very purposefully engaging us so that um, we will pay attention to the screen.
1: Welcome to another episode of Filter. On this show, we recognize that the world can be a confusing place to live in. And so that's why what we seek to do on this show is to equip you to live with biblical clarity in this chaotic world so that you can face the confusion of life with wisdom, integrity, and courage. We find ourselves surrounded in a technological atmosphere today. The devices and media that we consume are so integrated into our lives that we often don't even notice their presence. Moreover, We don't consider how these digital tools are influencing us as people and as communities. My guest on today's show is Felicia Wu Song, and she shares much wisdom and insight on this issue through her book, Restless Devices, Recovering Personhood, Presence, and Place in the Digital Age. Felicia Wu Song has a PhD from the University of Virginia. She's a cultural sociologist of media and digital technologies, currently serving as professor of sociology at Westmont College in Santa Barbara. Our publications include virtual communities bowling alone online together and articles in such scholarly journals as gender and society and information, communication and society. I really enjoyed my conversation with uh, Dr. Song for this podcast. We covered uh, a pretty broad range of topics and issues related to technology and media. It was great. She had offered so much uh, wisdom and insight. I really, really loved it. Before we get into that episode, let me first of all remind you that we are currently doing a book giveaway. If you register, if you sign up at the link that is uh, below in the description Uh, of this podcast, or if you're on YouTube in the description of this video and in the first uh, top pinned comment there, you'll find a link to enter into our book giveaway contest. We are going to be running this contest to give away a huge stack of books. That's going to include all different uh, kinds of guests we've had on Filter. It's going to include books such as Oz Guinness's "The Magna Carta of Humanity," Doug Gretheis's, uh m- "Majestic Big Book Christian Apologetics," and many, many other great titles on there. You can win all these for free. They're over the whole stack together is worth over two hundred twenty-five dollars in value by entering at the link that is in the description or in the comment below and you can enter in a variety of different ways you can uh, share it to get more entries and do all kinds of things so we encourage you guys to uh, get in to that contest to enter to win this awesome stack of books we're going to be giving away the contest is running now through November 22nd 2021 so about 30 days from Uh, just a a little under 30 days from this podcast publication. If you haven't yet already, let me encourage you to subscribe to the show wherever you're watching or listening to this so that you can be included and so you can uh, be alerted anytime that we release uh, future episodes that you don't miss out on any of the great content that we're putting out there so that you can get biblical clarity in our confusing world. Well, without any further delay, let us jump into my conversation with Felicia Wu Song. Felicia, welcome to the podcast.
0: Thank you. Really well, grateful to, to be here. You.
1: Yeah, yeah. Excited to uh, have you here. I- I've enjoyed the little bit of conversation, small talk we've already been able to have. Uh, we got to connect over uh, your time in Louisiana. I'm here in, yeah. on the Gulf Coast and you spent some time in this area. We already got to hear your bio, but just fill in for us a little bit more about your story. Tell us where you're from, uh, how you got to where, uh, where you are now and what you're doing.
0: Yeah, sure. Um, so I teach sociology, um, at a small liberal arts college in Santa Barbara, California called Westmont college. And, um, I have been doing research on internet, um, issues and questions since the early two thousands. Um, I always like to joke about how, uh, I was in, I was in this game before Facebook, uh, we were looking at online communities and chat rooms. Um, But I'm actually originally from New Jersey, from the Northeast, Um, and like you mentioned before, spent some time teaching at LSU um, in their journalism school, which was a really great time. Um, And so, yeah, um, I've been out here um, at Westmont for eight years now um, and uh, enjoy teaching in areas of family and internet and social theory.
1: Mm-hmm. Great. Before we get into the book, uh, what is it that drew your interest to? Uh, you, since you, Because you said you've been studying uh, internet and technology, uh, especially uh, yeah. from a sociological perspective, since the early 2000s. Right. And in yeah. terms of internet history, that's not the beginning, but that's... Mm-hmm. That's very early. So, what drew Mm -hmm. your interest there? Who were some of the main voices that got you uh, that got you interested? Maybe have had an influence on you over the years?
0: Yeah, sure. Um, So, I actually was really animated from reading Neil Postman's "Amusing Ourselves Mm -hmm. to Death."
1: Yeah, I got it. And that that wasn't about the internet.
0: Yeah, it was about Mm -hmm. television. But it was he was asking the questions that that got me really interested in. The, the broader issue of how is media and technology impacting culture, impacting um, the ways that we even take in the world? And I had never heard anyone asking that question before. Um, and I just thought this is the kind of thing we should all be talking about, right? Because we do consume a lot of television back in the day. And now as the internet was coming into being, it was striking me that, you know, we were integrating them into our work, into our school lives, um, in, in, in a pretty rapid way without having any conversations about how it was going to impact school or work or eventually family and and our relationships. Um, And so that's really how I got interested um, because I really wanted us to be talking about it. I wanted us as a country, right, to be thinking about it organizationally, societally. Um, And so that's what got me on my way.
1: Interesting. That's great. Yeah. I only read Postman recently, even oh, though yeah. uh, mm-hmm. I, I finally got around to reading him, mm-hmm. uh, even though this has been a topic that I've been really interested in and passionate about. Uh, I, th- I think some of the same concerns that you expressed, I started to feel several years ago. Uh, mine was through uh, Douglas Grotheis. Oh, I don't know yeah. if you know Doug, mm-hmm. a philosopher in Denver. Mm-hmm. Uh, he wrote The Soul in Cyberspace. Mm-hmm. A long mm-hmm. time ago, that's and so right. I, yeah, um, and I, I uh, heard him talk about it. I read the book, and that's what that's what got me started, interested, yes. and uh, concerned about these topics. And so, mm-hmm. anyway, as soon as I saw your book, I was I was immediately hooked, interested, uh, eager to uh, to read it and to get to talk to you. So I'm really excited about that. Uh, the book, once again, is called Restless Devices. That's what we're talking about today. It is still, we're recording this in October, it's being released in November, is that right?
0: Right, the end of November. Mm -hmm. End of
1: November, right. So people can uh, pre-order it now. Uh, But you opened the book with this really interesting analogy uh, that I enjoyed, which is talking about uh, the experience of being at altitude, uh, which being from the Gulf Coast, I wouldn't know what that's like. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, but you, you you talk about the experience of being at altitude and then you draw an analogy from that to being in our digital environment and how that affects us can you just share with us that experience and the analogy that you draw
0: yeah sure um so I had never really been at altitude either until I moved to California and uh, my family and I were we heading up to the mountains and uh, on a certain trip and we got to the we, we, we got to where we were staying and we were unpacking our things. And um, I just remember distinctly um, having a headache, um, feeling out of sorts for the rest of the day. You know, like we wanted to do stuff with our kids. So we just kind of muscled through and, and I was just constantly feeling like, oh man, maybe I didn't have enough breakfast. Like, oh, or maybe I didn't get enough sleep or maybe I'm getting sick or something. And it took me, uh, I kind of cast around for reasons for why I was feeling out of sorts for probably half a day before I realized oh, wait a second, I'm in the mountains. I'm in altitude. This is actually a medically, you know, like verifiable experience that my body is is responding to the fact that the oxygen has actually changed up here, right? Um and, and so once I realized that, I was like, oh, "Okay, then I know what to do. I'm supposed to be staying hydrated, right? Like really hydrated. And maybe I should have taken some vitamins before I got here." Um but it was it was this moment that just Uh, of realization of of diagnosis, accurate diagnosis of why I was feeling out of sorts. So the analogy that I was trying to make in the book was that um, so often in life, we are feeling out of sorts and we're trying to figure out what is not aligned, what is not ordered correctly um, and what can we do about it. Um, And especially I think in these days, a lot of us actually feel kind of out of sorts about our relationships with our technologies, whether it's our email or social media, in our work life or in our social life, whatever it might be, we just kind of feel a little, either we're tired or we're frustrated or um, it's um, creating anxiety in us and we're not really sure what is going on. Um, and for some of us, you know, we might take extreme measures and just say like, all right, forget it. I'm just like, not going to do any of this. I'm going to chuck my phone, which isn't realistic for most of us. Right. But it's, I think, um, the analogy that I'm trying to draw is, Hey, you know, um, it might be helpful for us to actually have a better understanding of what the environment is that we are in, right? The digital environment, just like when we're up in altitude, it's good to realize, oh, up here, there's just less oxygen. So it's important for us to start learning and and coming to grips with, oh, what's actually happening in this digital environment? What has changed? Um, And then once we understand that, then we can decide, oh, okay, well, maybe I can take some pretty reasonable steps um, to make it feel a little better.
1: Yeah yeah do you think that most people even realize or or are aware of the digital environment that we're living in or do you think that most people are still stuck in the in the state of i'm frustrated dissatisfied uh confused distracted, whatever else it might be and not know why
0: that's a good question um I think there is certainly um a lot of um, casting about for different reasons. Um, I think, I think people understand that um, life is fast and that there's a lot coming in, like a lot of input that we need to sort through. And a lot, there's like a lot of chaotic, there's a lot of chaos really. I mean, especially in the last couple of years in the United States just feels like there's a lot of chaos that we're all sifting through and so, yeah, I think that's a good question. I mean, I think some people do kind of look at their phones and they just think, or, or whatever's, you know, attached to their wrist, they just think, man, if I just didn't have this thing always buzzing, my life would be easier, you know? So maybe there's a sense of like, gosh, if I didn't, you know, have this thing attached to my life, um, it would be more calm. But beyond that, um, unless you've, you know, watched a documentary or had a chance to read an article about it or something, it's, it's probably just kind of nebulous, right? Just kind of a general frustration that modern life is complicated and it's fast and it's not clear what the right thing is to do. Um, So we might kind of sit in a general sense of, well, you know, I just, I can't keep up. Um, Life is always a mess. And I just, I don't know how to even begin to sort through this.
1: Yeah, I think that unfortunately, a lot of the times what people do whenever they recognize that is they think, well, I need a new app
0: that's going to help (laughs) me to,
1: or I need a different app that's going to help me to gain control or get more organized or reduce the clutter or whatever else it might be, rather than reducing the digital clutter,
0: Yeah, reducing the
1: the informational clutter. Because with your analogy of being at altitude and Mm. having to diagnose that problem, it makes me think of, I think it was... I'm pretty sure it was Marshall McLuhan who said that uh, technology goes through these stages and the last stage, I can't remember if it's him, it might be someone else. The last stage is that it becomes invisible. Mm. Like, but, mm-hmm. like it becomes such an ingrained part of our life. We don't even recognize yeah. it there anymore. Like, right. I can't remember if that was McLuhan or someone else.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah. Um, and I think that's how most of us mm-hmm. are living. Uh, though like literally speaking, my phone is visible, but the but the presence of it and the and especially the influence it's having on my life, mm-hmm. because we're in this environment, just like you drew the analogy of being uh, at altitude, it, yeah. it is somewhat because it's so ingrained, it's become invisible yeah. to us. I don't know how many of us even start to notice it until we have something like your book to point it out.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, I think that's the nature of culture, right? I mean, if you think about just whatever cultural environment we are in, um. Uh, a strong culture will be invisible. It will be taken for granted. It will be something that we don't even know we are in until we go somewhere else, right? Um, and that's why we experience culture shock, right? We experience someone else's culture. And so, yeah, I think the digital um, dynamics of our life are so embedded now um, that there is a lot that we take for granted, that we don't even, um begin to to sense like you are saying uh we don't even perceive it um yeah. in some deep ways yeah
1: yeah I think people recognize that whenever they take some kind of a digital sabbath
0: mm-hmm.
1: or mm-hmm. uh or uh Cal Newport in digital yeah. minimalism recommends right. the uh the digital detox. Right. I've done that and I I've recommended it to other people. Some people end up doing it indefinitely. They cut out all the apps and whatnot. And uh, the difference that it makes in your life is just absolutely, it's, it's crazy. Mm. You cannot predict what a profound difference it makes right. uh, until you try and just see um, just emotionally, psychologically, how much you were being affected by those digital technologies. And so yeah. that's where that's where you start your book, just trying to help us to see that, that we're mm. being affected, we're being influenced. And so this is one of the main contentions of your book, that our digital environment is having an influence on us and impact on us, now that we've just kind of established that it's happening, can you help listeners to understand uh, and maybe see some of the ways that, that, it, that it does influence us that it that it is happening? In other words, what's the equivalence of uh, that altitude sickness mm. with uh, digital use and use yeah. of these devices?
0: Yeah. Um, well, I think one of the, the main features of this environment is, um, the fact that it is everywhere. That is, it is hard to escape. Um, I talk about how the internet, you know, has changed from something that used to be, um, tethered to the wall, right? If any of us are old enough to remember when we had to call in to the internet (laughs) and hear that awful sound, right? And so now it's mobile, it's on our watches, it's in our pockets. Um, It is accessible to us everywhere. And so that sort of ubiquity, I think, um, has a way of starting to um, enter into our, our consciousness, our preoccupations, right? Many of us are walking around, even when we're not, like you said, even when we're not actually using our phones or using our devices, we know right? We know there are emails going into our inbox asking us to do certain things. We know that social media feed is populating. Um, if we've posted something, we're hoping someone is actually responding, right? And again, even when we're not checking in our minds, we know there's this other, there's this world, right, that is, is, is percolating. Um, and so as we are even going through our day to day responsibilities of cooking meals and driving people to school or wherever, right? We know there's this kind of ongoing awareness, consciousness yeah. that is actually somewhere else, mm-hmm. um, and that has to do with the again with the fact that our that our digital access is so easy um, through all these multiple devices now that we have in our lives. Um, the other feature I think that's super important to understand about our environment is that it is no longer, uh, you know, we still talk about like going online and being offline or real life, quote unquote. Um, and, and there was a time when that was pretty clear that there was like a, a different spaces, right? Like, oh, the people who I meet online are just like these strangers, right? Um, or the stuff I do online is just this virtual world, right? Mm. Cyberspace out there, some kind of alien futuristic thing. Um, and then I have my like real friends and my real family and my work life and the things I do in quote real life. We all know that doesn't, for most of us, that there isn't that kind of clean cut division anymore, right? When we are quote online, we're usually actually dealing with and engaging, interacting with people that are in our real lives, right? There are our friends, they're our family, they're our colleagues. We're doing things that are yeah. connected with our church life, our school life. And so the fact that our digital is so embedded and intertwined now, right, um, is part of what makes it so hard to see, right? Mm-hmm. Because it's so institutionalized, so built into how we talk to our friends, how we yeah. – um do our relationships, how we do church right during the pandemic, right? Um, it's so integrated now that it's it's hard to to parse apart um in a clear way. Um, and then the last thing that I think is really um helpful to realize is the ways in which um what is coming through the digital to us, whether it's social media feeds or email or streaming, Netflix YouTube videos is that there's always something new <laughs> like mm. there's always something interesting or um, stressful because it's a demand on us right there's always something new that is coming at us and we're always wanting to find out what it is right um, and that creates a certain kind of appetite in us right that we're always expecting that there's something new to be checking and so we always yeah. check. Um, and I think, um, the, the general impact that it has on us is, is that it's actually really hard to come down and, and kind of step away from that, right? It's really hard Mm -hmm. to step away from that and say, Hey, you know, like, I'm just going to be still, or I'm going to just kind of have quiet, um, for this period of time and not have, you know, this constant input. Um, and stimulus that's animating me. And so I think it's helpful to realize these aspects of the digital environment, but I think it's also super important to realize that the um, digital environment is one that is very intentionally designed Mm. um, and sold to us, Mm -hmm. right? So you mentioned earlier that um, when we're feeling frustrated, uh, many of us just think we just need a, need a new app, right? Because mm-hmm. that made me think, yes, there's like a whole cottage industry of these apps, right? That are promising better productivity, more rest, meditation, right? Um, and um, so it's a business, right? There's a business that is that is, um, has put a lot of money into hiring incredibly smart people, right, to design these apps, to design the technologies so that we will use them, so that we will keep coming back, so that it's really easy to keep Mm -hmm. using them, right? And so if we start understanding, oh, wait, there's actually like, it's not just some like neutral Like, thing, right? Some neutral device that just happens to be delivering this wonderful content or stressful content to us. No, this is very purposefully engaging us so that um, we will pay attention to the screen um, and that therefore the companies can sell advertisements um, that we can see. Um, And so I think, you know, for some of us, I know this is really different. Um, between different people. I mean, I, keep, I teach college students and I, every year I ask them this question and it's, it's I haven't seen any changes yet. I mm-hmm. ask them, so does this bother you? Does this bother you that you're being intentionally manipulated? Right. Does this, does this bother you in any way, whether it's Amazon, Netflix, right? Our, our Apple iPhones, whatever it is. And they're like, sort of. And I like the ads. I like what they give me. I like the videos, right? So I, I get it. For some folks, it's it may not bother you, right, um, in the way that it bothers some people. Um, mm-hmm. But I think it's still really important to realize that it is designed to be this way. Yeah. Right? Um, and that it's not an accident that so many of us can't stop looking at our phones and our devices.
1: Yeah. In one sense, it is a really good and helpful step just to be uh, aware of these intentions behind the designs and so on, even if you don't take a much further step beyond that so that if you ever do find yourself being uh, manipulated in an unhealthy way, that you'll understand why. Yeah. So everything that you mentioned there really lined up well with some of the things that I came to learn and experience that led to kind of my own I don't know what you want to call it, digital awakening or, <laughs> or unplugging and so on. Just one of them, you know, noticing how, and this goes back to your first point, how if there was, if I found myself in any moment where I was not being entertained, or maybe entertained isn't the right word, but just busy, I would try to busy myself with my phone. Right. Like, and, and I point this out to people by saying you're standing in line at the grocery store, it's a couple of people ahead of you, so you're going to have to wait two minutes. Mm-hmm. What do you do? you it's this almost unconscious grab for the phone and mm-hmm. checking Facebook, checking email. Where else is for two minutes we came and stand there and just just <laughs> be <laughs> just stand. you know that mm-hmm. or like uh, and I, this goes along with your second point, I think about how I started to realize how all of my relationships, even my closest relationships, mm-hmm. like me and my wife, Uh, all of my relationships were being mediated Mm -hmm. by digital devices all the time. Mm -hmm. It's one thing for your relationship to be mediated by a device. when you're separated, right? You're Mm -hmm. you're texting each other, you're calling. Okay. That makes sense. And they're good in those circumstances. But Mm -hmm. then even whenever we're in the same room together, (laughs) we're looking at the phones and talking to one another, Mm -hmm. halfway our attention being split or... Our relationship is based around showing each other things. Mm-hmm. I've noticed that more so. Me and my wife mm-hmm. don't show each other videos and memes, but like me and my friends do that. We, yeah, uh, we're we're all sitting around with the devices open, showing each other. Oh, look, here's this and this without, and they can't just be put down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we just be together. Um,
0: right, right,
1: right. And so,
0: mm-hmm.
1: anyway, yeah, I, I resonated very deeply with all those mm-hmm. insights that you pointed out. And so just going a little bit deeper into this this theme that we've been following and what is the core theme of the book, your book sets out to answer two major questions. Uh, Those two questions you put forward are what kind of people are we becoming with personal technologies in hand and uh, and who do we really want to be? What are some of the insights you discovered as you tried to answer these questions?
0: Hmm. Um, Yeah, I think with... The, the heavy reliance on the digital in our modern lives, I think we are increasingly becoming people who are um, unable to be fully present where we happen to be, yeah. um, whether that's at work or in the grocery store or in our living rooms. Um, It's really challenging um, to be fully um, present to the people um, that are there um, because our minds are kind of half preoccupied with something else. And it's not to say that people, human beings weren't preoccupied, right? Um, Preoccupations uh, didn't uh, overwhelm people in the past, but it's just, I think it's, it's at a new, qualitatively new level. Um, and so, um, and and that we actually are not aware of the places we are in, um, the, the actual places we're driving by or, um, the locations that we are sitting in. Right. Um, and so it's, um, you know, I, I I joke with my students all the time about how when they see a sunset, they always need to take a picture of it and post it immediately. And they're not actually at the sunset anymore. Um, You know, it's that sort of conundrum. I think that we are, we are becoming that kind of people that we can't actually just be fully present. Um, And I think um, in that regard, not only are we not able to be present to the people around us and the places in which we are in, perhaps even deeper, the concern is that we are becoming people who have a very hard time actually being present with ourselves. It's really hard to just have solitude. Wow. Yeah. No input. Um, and it's scary even. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, It's scary uh, because I think if we are able to be inwardly quiet enough, very often we actually hear what's going on inside of us, um, which which is often hard, hard stuff, right? Yeah. Um, And if you're a person of faith… Um, we may also be attuned to hearing what the Holy Spirit has to tell us, wow. which might also be hard. Or, or a yeah. blessing, right? We might be missing out on a blessing. And so I think it's this um it's it's the fact that we are kind of disembodying in, in many ways. Like we we mm. we are not like fully in ourselves um internally or to the people around us as we are constantly Kind of letting our attention and our being be um, kind of drawn to these external spaces um, as to how that relates to the, the the kind of people we want to be, um, I usually like to think about it in this way, you know, and, and this is again so much of my my thinking comes from my conversations with my students. Um I ask them, you know, when you are older, when you have lived a full life and you look back, right, what do you hope to see? Right? What do you hope you will see in your life that will that will make you um feel that you have you have lived well, right? Um and you know, it not not surprisingly like, no one's saying anything related to <laughs> their digital devices, right? Yeah. There's nothing, right? Everyone's talking about You know, I want to, I want to have had real, genuine relationships, like good times with my family, good times with my friends. We want to be people who have had a chance to experience real love, real communion with people, Mm -hmm. um, have meaningful experiences. And so, so then the question is always, okay, um, that's great, right? Um. How is what you're doing now going to help you get to that vision that you have of the life you want to let, have lived, right? Yeah. And if there are these big gaps, well, then what are what are some small adjustments you can start making, right? Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, I think most of us probably agree. You know, it's not to say that we don't we can't experience really fun and meaningful interactions online. I think it's possible mm-hmm. for sure. I think it's mm-hmm. definitely possible. I think, But I think it's the general kind of habits and routines and textures of our everyday life that is, is kind of qualitatively making it difficult and deteriorating um, our chances of, of having, actually experiencing um, those, those very things that we want. Um, yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, man, that point on how we often are using these devices to distract us from even what's going on inside ourselves. That is that's powerful. And we we could spend a whole hour just talking about that. Mm. Uh my goodness, yes, that is so true. I know that I know that there have been times where I should have been praying because mm-hmm. God was doing something in me, but I just didn't feel like I had the emotional energy to. So, I chose to distract myself right from what the, the spirit was doing in me by checking social media or answering mm-hmm. an email. you're so right with that. Mm-hmm. It makes me think of uh, th- this is something that I read in one of uh, going back to Doug Grudheis. and when, I, I read this in one of his books. I can't remember which one. he quotes uh, I believe it's Kierkegaard, who said that, that the vast majority of our problems come from our inability to sit quietly in a room. <laughs> That's <laughs> just what like
0: Kierkegaard would say. <laughs> yeah, uh,
1: and and and, that, and, that, and and I think that's so true.
0: Yeah,
1: with uh, with our with our need to distract ourselves,
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, entertain mm-hmm. ourselves constantly. One thing that I was thinking about as, as, as you were explaining that and, and the question before mm-hmm. is because you said these devices, these apps, have been specifically engineered by very clever people uh to uh to grab our attention to demand our attention to pull on our our mind even when we don't have the devices out mm. what are some of the attributes of just being a human that you think that they are depending on and taking mm. advantage of to hijack mm. our 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 attention because i I think that this is another key point that 's important to understanding the seriousness. Of of this topic and the influence is because I think that if we we, we when we when we look at this, uh, there's some very core attributes of just what it means to be a human that they're taking advantage of. Mm,
0: mm, yeah, what, what do
1: you think some of those would be?
0: Right. Um, well, when we think about social media, I think um, one of the clear attributes of our humanity that um, one of our vulnerabilities is the way I like to think about it um, is that we, we all want to belong, Mm -hmm. right? We, we so long for affirmation from other people. um, And that's tied into, I think a a second, it's separate, but it's connected part of our, our uh, humanity, which is um, having a sense of worth, right? Um, of, of some kind of worth. And um, I think the devices are keyed into um, really pressing our buttons there of, yeah. of, um, of actually quantifying our worth and the, the degree to which we belong through mm. the number of likes yep. or the number of <laughs> followers we have, uh-huh. right? And um, and that's, you know, I mean, none of us likes to admit that, really, because it seems kind of silly. It feels kind of junior high level. Um, but it's just the truth. <laughs> you know, it's just... Yeah, it is. It's, it's agonizing when nobody likes our post, right? I mean, one questions one entire significance um, and worth. And so, I think um the 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 fact that um there's more and more studies that are coming out about um the large percentage of people who um, would say that they are experienced loneliness in their life right that 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 sort of um finding is not um disconnected right to the fact that we live in this world in which um these devices are are very much tending to our needs for worth and belonging right um and so um to me i think that's why i feel like um so many of these companies are, are, are hitting below the belt here um, because these are real needs, right? These are real appetites and hungers um, that from a Christian perspective, um, I think we would say is, is part of how we were created, right? That we were created for relationship. We were created to be um, acknowledged with some kind of worth and that, um, f- that we would say, and that that comes from the triune God, right? That that our worth and our sense of belonging comes from our Creator. Um, and so we are. I mean, this is where I'm kind of, uh, you know, Augustinian, right? With with his famous quote, you know, we're we're restless. Uh, we yeah. will we will restlessly look for whatever it is that will fill our desires, right? Um, when um, the truth of the matter is our desires will only be fulfilled by God, right? Um, and so I think there's there's nothing wrong with our desires, those desires for belonging and worth, right? It's just yeah. what we choose to fill it with.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's, that is so true. Whenever I have written or talk about this to people, uh, that's one of the things that that I've said is that if you're concerned about how much uh, digital technologies have a hold on your life, there's some good tips and some tools we can use, some habits that we can try to establish. But ultimately, it will not be sufficient if you are not replacing the mm-hmm. satisfaction of those desires uh, with Christ. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. just like you said. Mm-hmm. And, and So I think that's so... And and I think that's a message and and just all of of this that we're talking about is something that so many Christians still are not aware of. And I can't help but wonder if much of the Christian world and much of the Christian intellectual world uh, is kind of behind the rest of our society Mm. in Mm. looking at this issue, which is one Mm. of the reasons I'm so thankful and appreciative for your book, your work. Uh, You know, I know you, you and Doug aren't, Aren't behind, uh, you, you know him a little bit before you, and then you, you've been working on this since the early two thousands. But, but still, more broadly speaking, uh, mm-hmm. I can't help but feel like we're behind. Do you feel that that uh, Christian intellectuals and then the church as a whole are, are somewhat behind, or, mm-hmm. uh, or is there a lot more work being done trying to build a new uh, theology of technology um, yeah. and trying to help Christians see this? Or is it something that we still have a lot more work to do on?
0: Yeah. I, you know, I mean, are we behind? I don't know who we're behind, like who exactly we're, we are behind. Um, yeah, But I, I think we're definitely, um, it's not seen as like, th- there's lots of topics that Christians talk about, <laughs> right? Like, 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 topics about society and culture and, and um, that that have a longer history and, and for sure in that sense I think technology is not one of them right oh, yeah. um, and, and, in, and particularly in certain parts of the church of the American Church, I think um, there has actually been a fairly um, sanguine, even um, utopian, Approach to techn- media and technology, um, mm-hmm. because it it is regarded as merely um, a, fun- a a tool of distributing the gospel message, right? Quote unquote, mm-hmm. um, and so it's seen as this kind of like just an unadulterated good, right? Um, that can be picked up and used, and and you can run with it. Um, and so there there doesn't tend to be as much reflection on the ways in which it's actually much more complex, um, especially when that tool, quote unquote, right, is something that has penetrated everyday life in exactly the ways that we've been talking about. Um, And so I do think that you know, one of the questions that I started thinking about in writing the book was wondering um, what seminary education is like because I, I've never been to seminary or a divinity school before. I've wondered about what are, what are the kinds of topics and courses that are being offered and is technology in any of those conversations? Um, because at least as a, as a parishioner and, and someone who's not uh, in the church leadership, um, I've always kind of wondered, you know, why, why, are, why is it that technology is kind of relegated as a topic to, like, certain small areas, right? Like, yeah. either it's just for our young people to talk about, because it's just those young people that are impacted, not us, mm-hmm. right? Or we talk about it in terms of pornography, um, which is for sure a real issue and needs to be addressed, um, but it seems like it's really kind of a pretty narrow band um, of, of, sig- of relevance, um, when in fact, I think um, t- to the degree that the digital is so embedded, so uh, much mediating our relationships, to me, it feels like it should just be a part of any time we talk about discipleship or spiritual formation, is quite frankly, we're being discipled and spiritually formed by our technologies. Like that's, that's the main competition right now. Yeah. Um, and so that's, that's the question I've had um, and, and kind of my hope even that the book would help kind of move some conversations in certain quarters, in certain circles that might yeah. impact the church more widely.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Whenever I reflect on this in my own experience growing up in the church, uh, the only thing that I can ever remember being taught about technology is, well, don't watch pornography. And that's it. Yeah. That was the whole extent of it. And I think it's because what you, I agree with what you said. I think it's because I think the church had some, um, maybe it was uh, uh, maybe the church was naive about uh, technology and I think that Marshall, going back to Marshall McLuhan, I think that he, uh, he indicted the church pretty well back in the, all the yeah. way back in the 60s, whenever yeah. he wrote Understanding Media. And there's this quote that from Understanding Media that's always stuck, uh, stuck with me. He said that it, this is my paraphrase, but something to the yeah. effect of, you know, it's the mark of a technological fool to assume that media is just a neutral tool.
0: Yeah.
1: And it's all dependent yeah. on how we use it. Um, and, and yeah, I think that the church,
0: <laughs> mm.
1: Fell hook, line, and sinker mm. for for that. We've got a lot of work to do. Mm-hmm. But as a, as a Christian yourself, you, you said you're not you're not a theologian. Mm-hmm. Uh, but as a Christian and academic, how do how do you you approach? Uh, wh- what does that make you? What does that? Uh, I'm sorry. How does that make your approach of analyzing the digital age unique? Approaching it as both an academic and also as a Christian. So how's the how's your Christian worldview? play into it?
0: Yeah. Um, for me, it kind of goes in both directions. Um, mm-hmm. So as a sociologist who happens to be a Christian, um, I tend to think about digital matters Um, with certain assumptions about what it means to be a human being, um, what our personhood, um, is, um, constituted by, and that's informed by my Christian faith. It's informed by, um, my understanding of our humanity being integrally linked with the Trinitarian God, right? Mm -hmm. And all the implications there, um, As a Christian who happens to be a sociologist, um, I come at these issues um, with a desire to um, help expand the Christian imagination by... um, how to put this by asserting that the world we live in, right, the society we live in, the ways in which we are embedded in this world, um is actually um a part of God's kingdom, right? That 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 um A part of his his redemptive work is here um, in our lives, in our everyday lives, Um, and that these seemingly mundane issues of how many times do I pick up my phone before I even gotten out of bed kind of questions, right? Mm -hmm. But that's part of a cherished corner of God's kingdom that wants to be redeemed Mm -hmm. rather than... I think the tendency very often um, in Christianity is to to s- kind of divide this kind of sacred right, like oh, there's like these holy things that happen at church yeah. and in the afterlife, and then there's mm-hmm. just kind of like the muck of everyday mundane stuff that we just kind of have to deal with, and we just got to pay the bills. And I want to say, no, 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 it's it's all all of this is part of the redemption, right? all of our everyday lives, every moment, and even these industries, right, that are creating these um, technologies and designing them. So so those of us who have the skills and the interest to, to work in these industries, right, that that would be part of the redemption, the the kingdom work, right? And so to me, um, it's, I, 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 I kind of work both ends, I guess, right. Mm -hmm. As a sociologist, I I would like to kind of make certain assertions about um, core aspects of, of our, our humanness. Right. Um, And then as a Christian, um, I kind of want to kind of uh, restore, right. Certain parts of our, our, our lived experience as being something that, that, can be made sacred right and that that was created to be um really uh made whole by all of who god is right um and and if we can be um expanding our imaginations that way right um you know in sociology we talk about it in terms of a reenchantment of mm. of the world right if we can reenchant the world in this way even as as persons of faith i think that that can fundamentally change um what we think we're doing um day to day
1: yeah yeah excellent yeah one of the things i hear is just uh is is bringing Christ's lordship over all of life including mm-hmm. And, and understanding that that means more than just, as you said, those things that we typically classify as the spiritual things,
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, but making him Lord over our technology use as well and our Lord over our attention
0: mm-hmm.
1: and uh, imagination. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um,
0: mm-hmm.
1: We have an audience question. Someone who is interested in uh, the, some of the kind of emerging technologies that we have now uh, in, as we're getting later in the digital age. Uh, so with the technologies of biotech, uh, AI and so on. Some of these newer ones we're seeing. How do we establish some ethical uh, guidelines and standards so that we protect what it means to be human?
0: Yeah, that's a big question. <laughs> yeah, um, and, and it, it makes us. I mean, yeah, it's a great question. Um, it makes me think about well, okay, who's establishing those guidelines? Is it a? Is it? Are we talking about a government, state? Sanctioned Mm. regulations, or are we talking about corporations themselves um, and scientists themselves setting self-regulations, ethical guidelines? Um, You know, so in terms of how we actually draw those lines, um, it seems like you know, in order to protect what it means to be human, we have to come to some agreement about what it means to be human, right? Good point.
1: Yeah, good point. Um,
0: and so um, there there's a conversation in and of itself. Um, mm-hmm. I think one of the practical things, um, and this is kind of where I always go, even though I, I, I love thinking about theological and philosophical matters, and we can go off hours and hours talking about these things, um, I, I, I do think it's important to think like, okay, what can we do, be doing practically in these industries and in um, and government spaces is um, I think we need more people in the conversation, right? Um, very often like conversations about bioethics brings in a, uh, you know, you bring in your bioethicists, right. You have careerists bioethicists, right. That do this work. But I think, um, you know, and in corporations, they bring in psychologists, anthropologists, right? But I think there's, like, a huge swath of people that need to be brought into the conversation. Yeah. I think those are historians, actually. Um, we can learn a lot from the kinds of mistakes we've made in the past um, mm-hmm. that we've forgotten about, right? That are along the same lines, right? We're just kind of further down um, certain trajectories, Um Ethicists often are a, a kind of philosopher, but I think there's a wider band of philosophers who are out there um, that can bring a lot to the conversation. Um, I think there are theologians that should be brought into the conversation of all different um, religious traditions um, and teachers that can be brought in um, to to help, again, um, expand the imaginations of, of uh these practitioners, um, and regulators, um, so that the definition of what it means to be human doesn't just end up being some like checklist of like five things, right. (laughs) Which is what often it becomes. Um, and, and just is to me, just the thinnest way, right. In some ways the saddest way to try to negotiate these incredibly important, important matters. Um, I don't know if that gets at the question, but hopefully yeah. that, that kind of spins it in a slightly different direction.
1: Yeah, yeah, and it's a, it's a tough one to answer, just like you were saying, because mm-hmm. it's a big question. Mm-hmm. I think one of the problems that I notice is that uh, all the people who are typically establishing these guidelines mm-hmm. and these ethical boundaries and so on are bioethicists who are working for the companies, <laughs> yeah, right? Right, exactly. and so. Like I'm sorry for being skeptical, but like (laughs) it's the same as whenever it's the same as whenever. And this will be more revealing about me, but whenever the DOJ opens an any investigation into anything in the government, like it just makes me a little skeptical, right? right? Like the government investigating itself, and it's it's, yeah, it's the same thing, you know. Like there's there's an incentive in a government example. There's an incentive to preserve the establishment. Uh, and so, in a in a in a in a uh, corporation, without even saying, you know, I'm, I'm not saying these are evil, scheming people, but their bioethicist sure. being employed by by this corporation, sure. which is wanting to develop technologies, has a profit incentive to so, get the technologies out there, right? Yeah. And so, yeah, I, I think that your point of bringing more people to the table, uh, but figuring out how do we have the right people who are independent enough, but yeah. then we'll have the the whether it's political or just cultural authority
0: yep. to actually make yep. a
1: difference. Yeah, that's a tough one. Yeah.
0: It's
1: a tough yeah. one. Uh, I think one of the best things maybe that we could do is, uh, okay, well, we can't control the corporations, <laughs> mm-hmm. but through education and through mm-hmm. uh, books like yours, through churches teaching, mm-hmm. well, maybe we can develop people
0: mm-hmm. who
1: are resistant mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. to – uh, to these technologies, or at least aware, like we were talking about earlier. Mm-hmm. All right, Felicia, well, we are running low on time. We're getting towards the end of our time today, so let's just finish with talking about what do you hope that readers of *Restless Devices* take away from the book.
0: Yeah. So um, one of the things I hope readers will come away with is um, just a better understanding of how the in digital how the digital environment is built and how it is. Um, intended to be hard to put down, right? The devices are hard to put down. Our Netflix is hard to get away from. Um, And that it isn't just um, that it's something about us that makes it so hard, um, that there's some kind of moral weakness or something, right? That makes it hard for us to get away from. Um, And the second thing that I hope readers will come away with is is just a... um, a sense of empowerment, actually, Um, a sense that they could make small changes in their life if we begin to understand our routines as practices that are actually forming us every day, right? Forming our desires. Mm -hmm. And so that even if we um, decide that, um, hey, I'm going to not look at my phone for the first 10, 15 minutes after I wake up, um, just to be alone with my thoughts, right? Just those 10, 15 minutes, um, and, and become aware, right, of what is going on during those 10, 15 minutes. And, and maybe we even choose to, to pray, right? During those 10, 15 minutes, um, while we're making our coffee, right? Um, before we get onto our devices that that could make a difference, right? It could make a substantive difference in us. Um, and so along those lines, I think, especially for Christian readers, I, I'm hoping that it'll be inspiring um, for Christians to, to think about the traditional spiritual practices that we have of, of keeping the Sabbath, of fasting, of solitude, um, that we can actually revive um, in, in kind, of, um, kind of digital specific ways, right? Um, that um, can um, help us get anchored and centered in, in who God is, just like those spiritual practices were originally meant to be, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think there are just, especially in Christianity, just incredible resources that are already there um, that we just need to kind of reimagine um, in our contemporary yeah. context.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And make the space for mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, and make the space for them. Mm-hmm. Great. Well, I, I think that uh, the readers who uh, get restless devices work their way through it uh will definitely take those things away uh, whenever they read it. Uh, I, I definitely think it would be a great investment of anyone's time and resources to get this book and to read it, take the message to heart, try to apply the insights and lessons. Uh, Felicia, before we go, are there any is there anything else you'd like to uh, point uh, listeners to today? Any of your other work, how they can get connected with you, find out more about you?
0: Um, yeah, I have a website, FeliciaWuSong.com, and it has some more information about me, the book, um, when I'm going to be giving talks, at different parts of the country. So and and I always love hearing and the best part of doing this work is hearing from people and their experiences with technology. So there's a place to give some feedback that I'd love to hear from folks. from.
1: Great. Awesome. Yeah. And I always encourage people to leave comments on YouTube if you're watching here uh, or or shoot us a message in some other way too. Uh, it, we can uh, always try to get those those questions or whatever it might be to Felicia. Great. So, uh, yeah. Well, thank you guys for joining us on this episode today. Uh, everything that we talked about, uh, including Restless Devices, any other resources mentioned, will be linked in the show notes. So make sure you go down to the description on YouTube or on whatever podcast platform you're listening to. Click on the link to the full show notes. You'll get highlights, resources, everything uh, there. Felicia, thank you so much for spending your time with us here on the show today. Uh, so much wisdom in this book and in this conversation. I really enjoyed it and uh, am thankful for your work.
0: Thanks, Aaron. It's been a real pleasure.
1: Thanks for listening. I hope this episode provided you with biblical clarity to live with confidence in our confused world. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, Please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating or review. To catch up with me, you can go to my website, aaronchamp.com. While you're there, subscribe to my newsletter so that you can be updated anytime I share new content. You can also follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Aaron M. Champ. Thanks again, and I'll see you next time. Until then, hold fast to the end.